Amen. You can go ahead and just turn around and grab your Bible, Pastor. All right. As you are grabbing that Bible, go ahead and turn it to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. And while you are turning there, I want to let you know I did receive a text this afternoon. Um, I didn't receive any of the uh, statistics or the incidentals, but I do know this, that um, uh, Chance and Susanna had a baby boy this afternoon. And uh, uh, Chance texted me and said that uh, mom and baby are doing well and resting and uh, that's all that I got. Now, you know that if a woman would have sent that text, it would have had inches, pounds, color of hair, uh, everything. But I think what we need to know, we do know. Baby is healthy and uh, everyone is doing well. So I'm sure that the statistics will come out later when Susanna sends the text out. All right, let's go ahead and, and uh, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. Sunday nights we've been dealing with the devil and how the devil deals with us. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we thank you for the healthy baby that was born today. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with Chance and Susanna. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with this church. Lord God, help our church to be an encouragement to this young couple. And Lord God, to, uh, to minister to them. And Father, to be what you would have us to be. And Lord, I pray now that you would just be with the services tonight. Father God, use it for your glory and your honor. And thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. We're dealing with the devil as the dictator. We dealt with him as the deceiver and the doubt inducer. And now as the dictator. And you need to understand this is his ultimate goal. And he, he makes this known when he... Uh, asked the Lord to uh, bow down and to worship him. So in his temptation here, the Son of God, he reveals to us his ultimate desire in the life of every man, woman, and child. This revelation, as I said, is found in, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 9, when he says to Jesus, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Satan wants to be the director of your life. He wants to be the dictator. He wants to be the CEO. He wants to be the chief in charge. And from the beginning of his existence, the Bible reveals to us that Satan's dissatisfaction with not being the chief is what led to his sin, that sin of pride. Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 13 says, Thou hast said in thine heart... And this, of course, is Lucifer. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. And then God adds, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. And, of course, that's how God deals with pride. We know that God, uh, uh, God gives grace to the humble, but God resists the proud. 
So Satan thought he might realize his dream of ascending and of being like the Most High when he had the chance to tempt God in the flesh. He was able to beguile Eve, and as uh, he has been successfully uh, directing every man and woman through the flesh since, and, and now that God has become flesh, Satan sees an opportunity. Perhaps he could finally exalt his throne above the stars of God. And we see exactly what it is he wants to do here, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Maybe Satan could realize his dream of becoming this dictator. The devil wants to be the director of your life, make no mistake. Uh, He may uh, present himself as one who cares for you, one who wants to allow you to do whatever you want to do and and have fun and, and gain knowledge, just as he did with Eve. The day that you eat, you shall be as God, he said. You'll know good from evil. You will experience life. You will have a good time. And and God's just trying to keep you from that. And as as I said a couple weeks ago when we started this, Satan will use the following devices to try to get us to serve him. Keeping in mind that is his ultimate goal. So the first thing that Satan is going to use, he's going to use our discouragement. He's going to try to get us when we are down, when we are at our weakest. Notice in Matthew chapter 4 here, and in verse number 2, the Bible says that when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. Now, isn't it amazing that Satan didn't attack him before the fasting? Satan instead would attack him after the fasting, when, once he was hungered. You know, the Bible reveals something to us about Satan. And, and it's revealed to us, first of all, there in the Garden of Eden. You notice who Satan went after? He went after Eve when she was alone. Now, I know that in this day and age in which we live, this is going to come across as a sexist statement. But the Bible makes it very clear to us that the woman is the weaker vessel. And so Satan would go after Eve when she was on her own, when she was by herself, and he would try to attack her then when she was alone. When did did Satan go after Jesus? After he had fasted for 40 days and his flesh was hungered. You see, the Bible tells us that Satan is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, when a, when a lion checks out a herd, a lion is looking for the straggler, looking for the baby, looking for the weak one. And once that weak one is by itself, that's when the lion pounces. That's when the lion goes after it. Satan does the very same thing. Uh, in times of our discouragement, which is why I exhort Christians, listen, when you are down, that's not the time to get out of church. When things are not going well, that's not the time to retreat and be by yourself. 
Boy, when you go through a hard time, when you have a tragedy in your life, that's not the time to say, well, I just need to take a break from everything. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to be around the church because I don't want to bring people down. What you're doing is you are becoming a target and you are allowing Satan an opportunity to come after you. I always encourage people, go against your instincts. Our instincts when we are down is to retreat. Our instincts when we are down is to go into, uh, to, well, to take a break, if you will. Boy, that's when you need to become the most active in your spiritual life. Your Bible reading, your prayer life, and your church attendance where people can exhort you, encourage you. That's not the time to take a step back. That is the time when you should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but be exhorted and exhort one another. Satan attacks when we are weak. He attacks when we're discouraged. He attacks when we are down. And that is not the time to be alone. Jesus was, you would say, down. Jesus was going through a hard time. Jesus was primed for temptation, except the devil is bitten off a whole lot more than he can choose because Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, mind you, there are going to be times when you are alone. There are going to be times when you have no choice. That's when the word of God says we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Remember David, when everyone was after him and and when uh, even his own men wanted to stone him, the Bible says that David, he encouraged himself in the Lord. But my, if you can help it, don't be alone during these times. I want you to notice the selfishness here of uh, of Satan's uh, solution. In Matthew chapter 4, verse number 3, when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made to bread. Listen, forget about your calling and do something for yourself for a change. Jesus' objective was to do the will of God. His objective was to do the will of the Father and to serve others and not to serve himself. John four thirty four. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus had to go without just like a man would. I mean, could he have turned those stones into bread? Sure he could have. But that would have been serving himself. And that was not his calling, nor was it his purpose. Listen, if Satan can cause us to be self-certain or self-serving, Satan's in control. If Satan can cause us to have a pity party and say, well, you know, I deserve this, Satan is in control. He will try to do this in times of discouragement, times of tragedy, Times when we are down, times when the flesh is at its weakest state. And that certainly was the situation here. He didn't take Jesus head on before he fasted. He took Jesus head on after the Bible says he was 
unhungered. Satan uses our discouragement. Some don't go to church because, as I said, they had a bad experience. Uh, They let Satan use their discouragement to defeat them. One thing I can never understand, as uh, as I said a few weeks ago, is hunger strikes. Why would you starve yourself physically or spiritually because you're upset with somebody? It just punishes you. Not only does Satan use our discouragement, however, the second thing that Satan will use, Satan will use our own deeds against us. Or he will use our accomplishments. I want you to notice the next thing. The Bible tells us in verse number 5, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. You know, Everything is done in a certain order for a certain reason. First of all, Satan comes to Jesus after he's hungered. We know why, that, because that's how he hunts. Second of all, Jesus has just won a great, a great victory over the flesh. Boy, here comes this temptation, and he is starving. Have you ever been that way? You're so hungry that... Man, anything sounds good. Everything sounds good. And you know what you ought to eat, but, but somebody brings you a couple of donuts, and you're just so hungry that you're like, I know I shouldn't. But before you know it, they're gone. And you're like, oh, man, I just, I, I just lost. Or maybe somebody does that to you, and you have the willpower, and you walk out of there, And you say, wow, I just won a great victory. Well, Jesus has just won a great victory. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he won a great victory, a victory over the flesh. You know, Satan knows not to quit attacking us because sometimes we are at our weakest once we've won a great victory. Because we tend to relax. We tend to, uh, we tend to settle in on our own lures, not on our own accomplishments, the things that we have done. And so Jesus has just won a great victory. So the Bible says that Satan takes him up into the holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple, which is exactly what you would do with the victor. You lift him up and you place him up and you prop him up. Kind of congratulatory, kind of a congratulations. Well, you just won a great victory. Well, now I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you up here. You deserve to be up there, Jesus, on the pinnacle of the temple. By the way, I have read that if you go up to the pinnacle of the temple, uh, um, uh, as it was, uh, and this here would have been Herod's temple in the day of Jesus, if you were to go up to the pinnacle of the temple and look down into the valley, that it was, uh, it, it was extremely tall. As a matter of fact, I, I don't remember the exact number, but I do know that if you were to go to the very top of the antenna of the Space Needle, you wouldn't be as high as you were at the pinnacle of the temple looking down into the valley. It, it, was, it was way up there. And uh, one of the, probably in its day, the tallest point in Jerusalem. 
and uh, Jerusalem is built up on a mountain. So, so this would be an extremely high place. Jesus, that's where you deserve to be. You just won a great victory over the flesh, and I want to congratulate you. And in verse number 6, he takes him, he puts him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he says unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands they shall, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So now Satan takes him to a place of triumph, a pinnacle of the holy place, and he tries to get him to be careless. Why not? Again, this has worked in the past. We looked at the previous thing he tried to do, use Jesus' flesh against him. It worked with Eve. I mean, it has worked throughout history, but it didn't work with God. Well, let's try this one because I know uh, I have been able to take people when they were victorious and place them on a pinnacle and cause them to be careless. Why it worked with David. Why after many victories, Satan got David to rest on his laurels. And Satan placed David on a pinnacle and Satan propped David up and said, David, you don't need to go to battle. You've earned a rest. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1, that it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And of course, as Paul Harvey would say, you know the rest of the story. As David would come crashing down from that pinnacle that Satan had placed him on. Be careless. You deserve to rest. You deserve a break. You know, you've been serving in this church for how many years? You, you deserve a year off. Go ahead and take a break from your class. Go ahead and take a break from the choir. Go ahead and take a break from teaching. Go ahead and take a break. I mean, after all, where would this church be without you? It worked with Hezekiah. Why, after his victory over a great sickness in which he prayed and begged God to give him life, he became careless after he had won a great victory. And God said, I'm going to give you some more years. And Hezekiah was so excited that when those spies from Babylon came, he accepted gifts from them. In exchange, he showed them all that was in his kingdom. Isaiah proclaimed that because of his carelessness, that kingdom was going to be destroyed by those very Babylonians he was careless with. Second Kings chapter 20, verse number 17 says that the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. 
So Satan had taken David and put him up on a pinnacle and said, be careless. You deserve it. Satan had taken Hezekiah after a great victory and put him up on a pinnacle and said, be careless. You deserve it. It doesn't stop with Hezekiah or David. Joshua, that great general, after his victory over Jericho, heading into Ai, became very careless. And over 30 people died because of his carelessness. Because Joshua, like many before him and many after him, allowed Satan to put him up on a great pinnacle and say, you know what? You deserve it. Be careless. Take a break. It still works today. Luke chapter 12, verse number 20, says that God said unto him, another man who had placed himself on a pinnacle and said, I deserve a break. Matter of fact, I'm going to tear down these barns and I'm going to build new ones. And then I'm going to say to myself, soul, you deserve a break. You deserve a rest. God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Don't be careless. Oh, you may be able to look back and say, man, God's used me for great things. But it doesn't mean it's time for a break. It doesn't mean it's time to be careless. It doesn't mean that it is time to rest on your laurels. It just means this. Satan's going to keep attacking. This successful businessman in Luke chapter 12 was so careless and so self-serving, he fell right into the devil's trap. Being careless causes us to tempt God to take action. And notice what Jesus says to the devil. I am not going to tempt my God to take action against me. Verse number 7 of Matthew chapter 4. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. My, don't tempt him. Don't think that you've earned God's respect. God is no respecter of persons. God smiles when we're faithful. God is pleased when we are faithful. God does not say, man, I'm so glad that you were faithful for most of your years and then kind of became careless at the end. No, he either says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or if we are living the, the last of our years, careless and deserving of breaks, thou wicked and slothful servant. No, you see, God or Satan will use our discouragements. Satan will use when we are down. Satan will also use our deeds against us. He'll be happy to pat you on the back. And you know, again, it comes to our pity parties. Well, you know, no one recognizes what I do. No one has congratulated me. Nobody cares. And mind you, we ought to. 
encourage people. I mean, that's, that's what the church is about. It's about exhortation. But here's the thing. None of us are perfect, so sometimes we become negligent in that. Well, that's not an excuse for me to become careless because here's the thing. Satan will be glad to come and pat me on the back. He will be happy to come and place me on a pinnacle. Because right after he does that, and right after he pats you on the back, and right after he props you up, and right after he makes you feel so good to the point that I deserve this, you're going to fall off that pinnacle. And then you're going to have to suffer the consequences. Oh, as I've said, sometimes as a church, we certainly have been guilty of not being what we ought to be. It does not, however, lessen your consequences or my consequences when we take matters into our own hands. You know, they say that one of the reasons that many inner city kids get into gangs is because they don't have the support at home. And because they don't have the love and they don't have the support, and oftentimes it's because they don't have a dad to encourage them, to love them, to discipline them, to exhort them, to rebuke them. And because they don't, they long for that. We are born with that that need. And so these kids will go out... And these gang members will exhort them, encourage them, kind of take them under their wing. Here's the problem with that. Is even though we can understand why they do it, we can even sympathize with them why they do it. Nonetheless, once they do it, they're the ones who still have to suffer the consequences. They're the ones when they commit the crimes because their adopted fathers have gotten them into this, they're the ones who are going to have to do the time and they're the ones who are going to have to suffer the consequences. And so what I say is this, uh, there's no such thing as the perfect church. And sometimes each and every one of us, sometimes our deacons are negligent. and Sometimes your pastor is negligent. Sometimes our Sunday school teachers, sometimes we're negligent with one another. I think it's one thing we should guard against. But if the church becomes negligent and does not encourage me, and I go out and I become careless... I may blame the church, but I'm going to have to suffer the consequences. One of the things that God teaches us is personal responsibility. I'm responsible for my actions. Each and every one of us are responsible for our own actions. We can blame whoever we want. We can blame whatever we want. And by the way, The Bible tells us that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. But now here is someone who wants to prop him up. 
Here's someone who wants to place him on a pinnacle. However, had Jesus fallen for it, and we know Jesus cannot fall for it because Jesus can't fail. But speaking hypothetically, had he fallen for it, guess who's going to suffer the consequences? Oh, he could blame society and say, well, you know, I came to save society and society rejected me. So, yeah, I became careless. He could have blamed society. But the consequences would be his. Um, Don't let Satan use your deeds, your accomplishments, your spiritual victories. Don't let Satan use those against you. And I I think as a church, we need to... We need to uh, be even more aware. Satan wants to destroy the church. Every time this church does something good, Satan wants to tell us, well, it's time to relax now. Every time we have an accomplishment, that's the danger, by the way, of getting into a new building. One of the great dangers of getting into a new building. I've talked to more pastors who got into a new building, and the expectation is, wow, we're in a new building. We're going to grow, and they don't. They shrink. And why is that? Because this expectation, we have just won a great victory and then everybody relaxes. Buildings do not bring people in. Buildings do not build churches. God expects the church to build a church, which, by the way, is why a building is not the church. The church is the people. This is the body of Christ. Satan will use our deeds and Satan will attack us while we're discouraged. Number three, Satan will use our desires. He'll attack us using our desires. Look as Satan takes Jesus now for this last thing. Verse number eight. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he says unto him, all these things will I give you or will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You know, if Satan can distract us into following our own carnal desires... And we know this is exactly what Satan is trying to do with Jesus. Why, when Jesus was born, the wise men came into Jerusalem and said, Where is he that is born, the king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Satan knows Jesus is a king. That he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And what does a king want? A king wants his subjects to serve him. But Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. As a matter of fact, a throne wasn't waiting for Jesus. A manger was waiting for for him at his birth, and a cross was waiting for him at his death. I think that sometimes we forget to humanize Jesus because he was 
God incarnate. We remember the God part. We forget the incarnate part. The flesh. In other words, when Jesus was unhungered in verse number two, he was hungry, just as we would have been. When Jesus won a great victory, there was that, temp there was that temptation to feel pretty good about it and be placed on a pinnacle. And now that Satan is reminding him that, you know, nobody worships you, nobody, nobody uh, respects you. Here you come, the creator. Here you come, the king. Here you come, the Lord. You've come into your own nation and your own people have rejected you. And so here's this temptation. If Satan can distract us into following our own carnal desires, though we think we are serving self, we are actually serving him and falling right into his trap. To be self-serving is to be Satan-serving. When these things rule over me, I'm not a servant of God. God's simply a convenience. Notice what he showed him. Everything the world had to offer. My, what is it that we find ourselves living for? What the world has to offer. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friend. Sometimes it's job. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's fun, but nonetheless, it's all that the world has to offer. And so in a moment of time, every. Yours. Jesus says in verse number 10 of Matthew chapter four, get thee hence, Satan. My every time that I feel. The temptation to serve the flesh, that ought to be my reply. Oh, to be self-serving is to be Satan-serving. Get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. It's about God's desires. It's about what pleases him. Here's the thing. When you start serving self, It doesn't help you. It hurts you. Remember after Jesus finished washing the apostles' feet? And then he stood up. And let me paraphrase for you. He stood up and he says, do you understand what I've just done for you? And he explained to them, I am the master, but here I am serving you. And what I've done to you is what you need to do to each other. That is, don't serve yourself and don't serve you, your desires, but serve God first and foremost. And in serving God, serve one another. And then remember what he concluded it with. Uh, he concluded it with this statement. He said, if you know these things and do them... Happy 
are ye? See, many of us know these things, but we don't do them. And as James says, we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And Jesus says, if you know these things, you've seen my example. And by the way, this pretty much ends his, for the most part, his earthly ministry. This is what I've done for you. This is how I have lived. I have lived tirelessly serving you, serving mankind, serving Israel, serving uh, 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 my neighbor. I've done it to teach you a lesson. Follow in my footsteps. If you know these things, which you do, you've seen me teach them. And you do these things. Happy are ye. One of the things that Jesus came to do, and, and this is not original. Matter of fact, I think we had a preacher who came here and made this statement. I thought it was so profound. He said, Jesus came not only to save us, but to save us from the tragedy of serving self. Because serving self is a tragedy. You ever known a happy, selfish person? Someone who serves themselves, someone who's all about themselves. One thing that you realize right away, they're not happy. They're miserable. It's a biblical concept. It's a biblical principle. It's a biblical precept. If you know these things, then you do them. It's the key to happiness. What is the key to happiness? Not serving yourself. That's the key to happiness. Serving others. That's the key to happiness. Serving God first and foremost, that's the key to happiness. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. And then the second commandment, loving thy neighbor as thyself. Satan wants to get you to focus on you. Whether it's your discouragement, oh, focus on that. Focus on that discouragement. Focus on that tragedy. Because if he can get you to focus on it, he can get you to compromise. Or your deeds. Man, focus on that victory. Claim the victory. As a matter of fact, give yourself a little credit for that victory. Satan wants us to be focused on our desires and to serve those desires. Because if he can get us to focus on those, then he can get us to become self-serving. And if we're self-serving, we are Satan-serving, and he has won the day. All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. To be God-serving or to be self-serving? That's the question that we're faced with each and every day. Who am I going to serve? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed. He has closed, every head bowed, every eye closed.
some uh, some pleasant business to take care of tonight. If I could get uh, Theo and Janika and Frank, if I could get these guys to come up here uh, with me real quick. Go ahead. 